If the person next to you wasn't moving during that song, reach over and see if they've still got a heartbeat, huh? We know we're made for so much more than ordinary lives. It's time for us to do more than just survive. We're made to thrive. I'm wondering, do you believe that? Do you believe that? I mean... Joy unspeakable, faith unsinkable, love unstoppable, anything's possible. Friends, we serve an amazing and awesome God. Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Hope and a future. And I do believe that. You know, we're finishing up our series, Call of Duty. We've been looking at the life of Nehemiah, how he helped rebuild the the walls of Jerusalem. And uh, it all started with Nehemiah when he heard about the destruction of the city and he found out that people were living in fear, how the enemy had dismantled the city of Jerusalem in such a way that it humiliated the Israelites, and it humiliated their God. And the situation moved Nehemiah to the extent that he he was really overwhelmed when he heard about it. And in his grieving, the pressure began to build. And as Nehemiah prayed about the city, he realized that he was a, a child of God and that there was a way out. And he had that Popeye moment that we talked about That's all I can stand, and I can stand no more, you know. And it hit him that God wanted him to do something. God prompted him. He led the charge. And Nehemiah makes that that declaration that God in his supernatural power and strength would help him rebuild that city. See, he knew that he was made for more than just to survive in life. He was made to thrive. God, God had created him for, for a purpose. And he knew that with God, anything was possible. You know, the hand of God was on him. And we, we've been looking at that each week of how God's hand moved and the king of Persia gave him the time off, gave him the clearance, even gave him the supplies that were going to be needed, provided him a royal escort to the city. And when Nehemiah got to Jerusalem, he assessed the destruction. Remember, he traveled around the city. And he begins to lay out the plan of what, what God's going to do through him and the people. And the people rallied, and they started building. And even when they faced opposition which I have said, do not be surprised. Anytime you decide to build something in your life, you know, build into your marriage, build into your family, or vocationally, or in your spiritual life, anytime that you move forward and you actually take steps, you start moving forward, start moving closer to God, there is always opposition. Always opposition. The Israelites, they face the opposition, People are afraid, and Nehemiah encourages the people, and they stand their ground. They deal with the opposition. They continue to to work. They continue to build. And Nehemiah and the people, they build, build the wall. But that wasn't the end game for Nehemiah, was it? 
You know, last week we talked about that he really had a, a bigger vision for the people, that the, the people of Jerusalem, that they would become people of God's word, that they'd become fully committed to God, 100% obedience, that they, they would just step in and say, you know what, all in here. And against all odds, unbelievable odds, they rebuilt that wall in 52 days. And I think one of the sweetest verses in, in the entire book is found here in verse 16 of chapter 6. It says, Then all the enemies heard that we had completed the wall, and all the nations around us saw that it was finished. So they lost their courage because they understood that this work had been done with the help of our God. I, I love it. They did it together. Everybody in that city joined, joined and did it together. Their enemies knew it, and they knew it, and the fact that they had done it with God's help. With God's help. You know, when a, when a mission or an endeavor in this world is achieved together, when you know that it was only possible because of God, I believe that's a powerful thing, and it's a powerful statement. So now the people are looking, the the walls are built, the gates are functioning. They're looking at each other, they're freshly recommitted or committed to God. They're united, they're focused, their their reputation, God's reputation for all the neighboring nations to see has been restored. And it's an amazing moment in history of God's people. I mean, it's quite a comeback. It's quite a statement. No longer is the city in rubble. They've rebuilt it. They're recommitted. Their their reputation, they've reestablished God's reputation in the world. And so now you look and you go, well, what's Nehemiah going to do now? You know, they put the last uh, capstone on. Things are in place. The gates are swinging. People have become this community that we talked about being committed to God, committed to each other, being a witness to the people in the outside world. And he's expended all this energy. So now what? Well, I I thought about his options here. I mean, one of his options would have been just clean up his tools, pack his bags, and head back home, go back to Persia. Another option, he could have got up before the people and said, you know, we did that project in 52 days, but I think if we had worked just a little bit harder, could have done it in 48. Now, that would have been great. But you see, Nehemiah, he, he's this great leader. He assesses things, and he realizes there's only one option. Have a party. So he plans this, this big celebration. They're, they're going to dedicate the wall, and they're going to celebrate. And we're going to talk about uh, his party plans in a, in a few moments. But I want to ask you something. How important do you think celebration is or should be in the lives of people? In other words, how much energy... How much resources 
should be devoted to celebrating things, you know, decorating stuff, uh, dressing things up, throwing a, throwing a dinner party, you know, having good food and drink and dancing and singing and laughing and praying and partying. How much? I mean, how important are those kind of things to the human spirit? Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Seriously think about it in your life. Because as I read Scripture... In the Old Testament, God mandates to the people, Old Testament again, there are no less than 12 feasts and festivals that are mandatory participation for the people, the Israelites. Many of these feasts lasted for sometimes more than a week. They would worship, they prayed, they they presented sacrifices, but mostly, if you read, they celebrated. They celebrated. They celebrated with music and dance and laughter. They'd have good food and drink. There was no working. There was no trading. They were just celebrating. And I, and I find that very interesting. I find it also interesting. Jesus, his first miracle, New Testament, he was at a celebration, a wedding reception, I mean, in those days, wedding receptions often got rowdy, if you know what I mean. And Jesus is at this celebration, and they run out of wine. Now, this is just me thinking. But when I'm reading it, I'm thinking, okay, he's a religious leader. He probably said, oh, they're out of wine. That's a good thing. (laughs) Now, people are still standing. They're out of wine. That's good. That's good. But Jesus sees this as a problem. It's very interesting to me. Of all the things that Jesus could have done for his inaugural miracle, for him to apply his supernatural power to, because he knew, he knew this would be recorded, that we would read about it, that all history would know, that that first miracle was to make wine. Save a party on the brink of going belly up and being ruined. And Jesus, he turned six jars of water into wine. I was reading some archaeologists did some figuring. They said that's about 600 bottles of wine that he created that day. And he more than meets the expectation because Scripture says it was the best wine that was served that day. And uh, kind of the business person in me thinks, I wonder what a bottle of wine, that bottle of wine would be worth today if we still had one, you know. But um, Jesus went to the celebration. In fact, Jesus went to so many of these celebrations during his three-year ministry that the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they they were kind of anti-celebration, very somber, anti-party. You know, if, if you didn't wear your faith, I'm, you know, I'm a Christian, you know, and just wear it, it wasn't quite right. They accused Jesus. Matthew 11, you can read it uh, this week if you want. But before a very large crowd, they accused Jesus of being a glutton and drinking too much. Hanging out with sinners. You know, you can almost hear him talking. For a religious guy, he goes to way too many parties, way too many. 
It's a false accusation. But I think it's a little indicative of how many celebrations he went to. You know, the New Testament, the imagery that is quite often used to describe the the feeling of heaven. Now, it's not what it's actually going to be, but the feeling of it is the imagery of, of feast, of banquet. In other words, people that are joy-filled, gathering around a table, and they're eating and drinking and laughing, and there's music, and there's dance, and they're celebrating. And so we've got this metaphorical kind of uh, depiction of heaven that's really about freedom, about community, about joy, about celebrating together. And so as I read Scripture, I think, well, apparently... God and Jesus, even in eternity, celebration. Celebration's a big deal. In fact, I would argue that celebration ought to be a big part of the human experience. You know, it's part of of maintaining a a healthy faith. Because as as we learn to, to celebrate it kind of helps us counter the the sorrow and the pain of life. You know, in celebration, I think we find the strength to continue to do the will of God with joy, with joy. That it's in the celebration as we reflect and we realize that God has moved and God is active in our lives that we begin to to be able to push forward. It helps us take the next step. I like what Dallas uh, Willard, he's a philosopher, Christian writer, he, he writes this. He says, human hearts are radically unsuited for the pain that comes to them in living life in this world. Therefore, that fragility of the human heart has to be offset with huge doses of celebration or the life gets squeezed out of us. I was thinking about early in my life, and uh, I'm going to kind of speak from the heart for a few minutes here, but I really discounted the value of celebration. You know, I I grew up, um, I think there was this sense in the circles that my family was in, that celebration was kind of silly. That uh, having a, a party, some kind of celebration, was a waste of time and a waste of money. And so it, it was kind of like, why go to a celebration when you could work? Does that make sense? Anybody resonate with that a little bit? I mean, the, the money and, and the time and the energy that was spent for a, a celebration or a party could really be better allocated. And so it created a, a kind of a rumor mill in, in our home where someone would say, hey, did you hear so-and-so had a party? Did, did you hear they, what they served at, at that party? And they, they would talk about it. they say, they had a caterer. Uh-oh. C word, they did what? They had a caterer. Yeah, it, it, they had the stuff catered in. It was a big deal. 
You know, the place was decked out. They had centerpieces and china and champagne, a lot more C words, you know, and my family would be like, you know. There was a sense that that was a waste, that it was silly. And in fact, if people are serious about life, if people are serious about their faith walk and their spiritual life, you just don't go to celebrations. You just don't spend the time and the energy. You don't hang out at those kind of things because it's just not productive. And I'll, I'll be honest, for the better part of my early adult life, for a couple decades, I really kind of avoided celebrating stuff. And just to give you a glimpse, I, I had such an aversion to celebrating that I did not attend my high school graduation because I thought I've moved on. Yeah, I did it, so what? And so then I got to my college graduation and I skipped that. And I got to my master's degree and there was no celebrating. And it was only when I got my doctorate that I finally went to my graduation. And I'll be honest, the only reason I went, my mom reminded me that I promised her that I would go to my, when I got my doctorate. You know, she held me accountable to it. Each time I'd skip a graduation, she'd go, Damon, you, you really ought to go. And I would always answer her, well, I'll go when I get my doctorate. And so... I went to, to my graduation that year, but inside, I really didn't celebrate. And in fact, it took me years to even find value in celebrating stuff, to, to be able to let go of the demands, let go of the, the goals, let go of the tasks, let go of the work, and just celebrate what had happened. I was talking to a buddy uh, not too long ago, and uh, he's not a Christian, but he's a friend. And he goes to too many parties, and he knows it. And we've talked about it, and we we were talking about it, and he said something very interesting to me. He said, Damon, my life has been a serious disappointment. He says, it's been a serious disappointment. But when I go to a party or a celebration, I I talk with friends, I meet new people, I eat, I drink, I I listen to the music. But here's what kind of hit me. He says, I forget about how bad things are in my life. And I remember walking away from that conversation. And I, I was thinking, you know, my life's good. My life's good. I have been blessed beyond blessed. You know, my life has not been a disappointment. I've got a great family. I've got a great marriage. I, you know, thing, things are good. I've got this amazing God. And God's moved tremendously in my life. But here's the thought that kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I want you to listen very carefully because I I did not want to be misquoted here. But we have a God that loves 
for his children to celebrate life. Not to escape life, okay? But to celebrate life. And it is, if it is about escaping life, there's something tragically wrong and missing. But there is value when God's children celebrate. It is life-giving when we are full of joy and it spills into the world around us. It's why Jesus turned the water into wine. It's why God promises that there's going to be an eternal celebration in heaven that is never going to end. It'll be never-ending celebration. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. I am still trying to grow in this area of celebration in my own life. You know, privately, I do a lot of celebrating. I recognize God's hand and movement in even very, very small things. And I recognize and I am in awe of how God has worked. And I thank God for those things regularly and daily. But I'm growing in the more formal stuff, the more public stuff. And something I've realized is celebration kind of spills from the private life into your family, into your children, into the workplace, into the church. At some point, it spills into your entire life, and it becomes very joy-filled, but it's a process. Now, I remember the uh, early days of uh, Faith Fellowship when we just got started. We... We had a lot of things to celebrate. And I'll be honest, I did not do a good job as a leader celebrating those things. I mean, we had so much to do and accomplish, and God was calling us forward. And really, we were hard-pressed to be able to point out very many celebrations through those years. We had some. But I was thinking about when we opened this facility... We had a celebration, but I had to force myself to celebrate because in my mind, opening the doors, it seemed like enough of a statement and celebration to say we're here. You know, I, I was immensely grateful to God for what he had done. I briefly celebrated with everyone. Again, immensely grateful to God. I realized it was a miracle that we landed and things came together the way they did. I thank God for that. I still do. But while everyone else is still celebrating, I've shifted gears already. I'm thinking about the next move. I'm thinking about the next step. What is it God's calling us to? Thinking about, well, okay, what's it mean to be faithful now? But I remember driving home that day. And that's when I started wrestling with the importance of celebration. And it's taken me that long to even speak to it. See, God's been working in me. God's been growing me in this area the last seven, eight years. God's been pressing me, celebrate more, bring those things to the surface. If God, who authored the concept of celebration. If God mandated the Old Testament people, his people to celebrate and to be at these festivals and these feasts, if Jesus enjoyed celebrations, if that's what we're going to do in eternity, 
then why don't we celebrate more? And so that's my question to you today. Do you celebrate in your life? Those of you that are married, do you celebrate with your spouse? Do you make that a a priority in your life? You know, do you celebrate with your family? Do you look for those opportunities where you go, you know what? That's a good excuse to celebrate. Do you celebrate enough in your life? Parents, what you choose to celebrate will speak volumes to your children. And I'll argue that what you celebrate is what you become. So be very careful what you celebrate. But it shows what you value. Those of you that lead in the marketplace, in the workplace, you know, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a coach, maybe you're an office manager, you're an on-site project person, whatever, wherever you are vocationally, do you celebrate? Do people know what's of value? Do they understand what, what the, the, those milestones are and celebrate them? Here's the deal. Life is hard. You figured that out? How many of you figured out life is hard sometimes? There are always challenges, there are always pressures, there are always difficulties, there is always opposition if you're moving in the right direction. But in life, I believe that we need to go on the offensive as families. We need to step out of the heaviness of life and celebrate from time to time celebrate the goodness of God and what God is doing, even in the midst of the sorrow or the pain or whatever. So, so back, back to the Nehemiah story. Nehemiah, he assesses things. He says, we got to have a celebration. And I'll give you a peek at the plan. You can read it. It's several chapter, chapters long. But the first thing he does, he puts the word out. He says, if you can sing, and you don't need to be able to sing very well, but if you can sing... If you can play an instrument, you have been drafted and you need to come to this place at this time. You know, tens of thousands of people are hearing this. Now, you might think, okay, concert. He's going to put a concert together. No, Nehemiah's got a bigger idea. Nehemiah, in fact, he begins to to look around. He says, oh, we need a good backdrop for this. I'm sure he saw the river. He thought, yeah, yeah, that might be, that might work now. Mountains, no. And then he sees the wall, the wall that they'd built. So he starts planning. He's planning music. See, I think Nehemiah wanted stereo that day. Hadn't been invented yet, but he he knew what he wanted. So So he takes these people, these large groups of singers. He puts some of them at one gate. And he takes another large group and he puts them on the opposite gate of the city. He wants them to start singing in unison and marching. He wants the city to experience surround sound, fully integrated as it's moving around him. He organizes the singers, the instrumentalists, the dancers. They're singing. They're marching around the city. You can hear it. The movement of it, it's engulfing the whole city. And I think, I think about it, I mean, I can close my eyes, I can picture the color and the dancing, the celebrating, and what a moment. I mean, can you imagine what that was like? 
Scripture says, and on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. Sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. It's interesting, he singles out the women and children. See, in that day, the women and children many times were told to pipe down. Celebrate, but don't go overboard, okay? Keep it kind of quiet. Nehemiah steps in, he says, you know what? I want you to cut loose. I want you to celebrate. I want you to have at it. You know, we are going to turn the volume up. We're going to rock this city. And so they're celebrating, and it's loud, and it was heard far away. I picture neighboring nations who had intimidated them and ridiculed them, even mocked them. I picture they're outside the walls, and they know there's celebration going on in there. They can hear it. They can feel it. And I imagine them talking, saying, hey, you know what? Those walls went up really quickly. That that city's alive again. Can you hear it? There's a lot of energy in there. A lot of power. I mean, maybe we misunderestimated their God. You know, maybe, maybe their God's more powerful and more faithful than we thought. Their God's on the move. Their God's doing something. You know, maybe we should take a second look at their God and who he is. You know, that, that he just might be superior to our deadbeat gods. Our idols are idle. Friends, when God's people celebrate, when God's people live with joy in the world and people see it in your offices and they see it in your marriage and they see that kind of joy, I will tell you it is attractive to people in the world. It is inspiring to the people around you and the people you work with and go to school with. It is drawing to them. I mean, the people outside the walls, outside the walls, they're going to pay attention to it when God's people are celebrating You know, that's why Jesus said, I I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I mean, when God's people live with joy, are you living with joy in your life? See, when God's people live with joy, it creates attraction in the lives of people whose lives are not abundant. They see joy, and they see the energy, and they see the celebration of life, and they think to themselves, you know what? They have something that I don't have, and maybe their God is the answer, and maybe I need to worship that God too. See, the more we celebrate, the more we celebrate in the kingdom of God, the more attractive it is to the people that don't have hope in their life. See, I love, I love the last phrase there. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Far away. See, celebration's powerful. It is the essential part of the faith story of Jerusalem. You know, Nehemiah knew that they needed to celebrate, and he says, we're going to celebrate. I mean, this celebration, I, I, I think... It was impressive. 
And I think it impressed on the hearts and the psyche of the people that were there that day. And I think it carried for generation after generation after generation. In fact, I'm, I'm sure that there were grandparents that told their grandchildren about that day and what God had done. You know, how God had moved in a miraculous way. How, God, how they were able, with God's help, to rebuild the city in 52 days. And they celebrated that story. They celebrated how God had moved in their life, how God had moved on some friends of Nehemiah that just happened to travel because God's hand was on them. And they traveled there to him and said, you know what, Jerusalem's in ruins. See, God moved in Nehemiah. He moved him to leave a cushy job as cupbearer. It was a great job. And God moved him to do something different. And God moved in the heart of Artaxerxes, the, the king, a pagan king. And God moved in his heart. And that king was so moved that he financed the entire project. He allowed Nehemiah to leave. He gave him a leave of absence. He gave him everything that he needed to accomplish it. See, God moved not just in a few hearts, in a lot of hearts. In fact, all the people of Jerusalem. And I'm sure they shared that from generation to generation. Oh, you should have been there. God moved and everybody was united. It was an unbelievable thing. God was there. Even when we had opposition, we stood strong. 100%. We didn't run. We were focused. We, we saw it through. And when we finished, we thought we were finished. But it got even better. God wasn't finished with us yet. God moved again. Ezra, oh, he was a leader in our day. He got up and read scripture. Six hours of it. I remember six hours of it. And God moved in that. And in a mighty way, God's people were changed. God was on the move. Hallelujah. I remember that day so well. It was a new day in the city. 100% commitment. People stepped in and said, you know what? I'm recommitting myself. And it was full surrender and full obedience. God moved and we become a new community. Oh, you should have been there. We were standing on God's truth and we celebrated. In fact, we celebrated so loud that the world knew that our God was great. They could see it and they could feel it and they could hear it. And here's what I want to say. And here's what I know. God still moves. God still moves. He has moved in some of your lives in amazing ways. And you ought to celebrate that. You ought to look back over your life and celebrate those moments of how God's moved in your life and your children's lives and the people's lives around you. You know, he's moved in this church in incredible ways. I, I shake my head sometimes. It's like, wow, God, I can't believe it. But that's a God that moves. Now, I remember when we bought the land, when we built this building. You know, last year we opened the kids' zone. And each time I've always thought, it's not the end game. It's not the end game. It never was about that stuff. We say around here, it's not about the building, it's about the people. It's about lives being changed. That's what we want to see God move in. You know, families being strengthened people's eternities being marked. God is on the move. God's on the move today. God's on the move in this church and God's on the move in your lives. 
And you need to celebrate it, and you need to celebrate it loud, and you need to make it known, and you need to recognize it, and you need to thank your God. See, I I pray often that God will pull us together into a community of faith, a community that is 100% committed to God, 100% committed to God's ways, whatever God says we do. And I know that God's on the move. And I know that God's calling some of you. In fact, some of you right now, some of you, he's been calling you for years to just bow a knee, call a duty here, friends, to just bow a knee and make him Lord and Savior of your life. See, God's on the move. You know, God's on the move in some of your lives calling you to stop doing something. In fact, you know exactly what it is when I said that. God's on the move. God's on the move for you to be more faithful, to get more involved, to leverage in. I had some great conversations last week. People said, you know what? I'm I'm in. I'm in. God's on the move in some of your lives to, to serve in a ministry or to lead a ministry. Or maybe God's moving you to start a new ministry. Call of duty, friends. And when God calls, God's people step forward. And when you respond to that call like Nehemiah responded, you will experience unbelievable things. Because when our God moves, when his people commit to him and say, you know what, I'm in, I'm moving forward, whatever it takes, I believe when that happens, God God just undergirds it. And I believe God is moving and he's preparing this church, and your lives to do something amazing. And that I can celebrate and will celebrate. So I don't know what it is, but I want to challenge you to look at your life and to celebrate what God's doing in it and done in it and celebrate what he's going to do down the road. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, you are amazing. And God, I pray that your people would sing, they'd dance, that they'd yell it from the mountaintops, that when the world looks, that they would see joy, unbridled joy, joy that speaks volumes to who you are, what you've done. And God, we look forward to whatever's in the future. God, we just ask that you move. That you move in a mighty way. And we'll sing it from the mountaintops. God, we give you the glory. We give you the praise this day and every day. God's people said, let's stand. Friends, God's on the move Let's celebrate. If you've got something that God's done in your life, just celebrate it right now. Just let God know. I know what you've done in my life. I know what you've done in my marriage. I know what you've done for my future. To just show God a sign of that, just being thankful for that. Let's, let's worship together.